Lord, we are excited to meet with you today. God, as we hear from a different voice from the normal, Lord, I pray that you would, you would give Billy a holy, anointed word to give us today. Jesus, I pray that this would be a time where we are encouraged, but also challenged. God, you know the different things that we walked in with this morning. Jesus, you know uh, the ways that our week has gone. Lord, and we want to commit to laying those down before your feet. Lord, your word says that we are supposed to be joyful in your hope. God, and this morning, we don't have an anchor that just is there for us when it's difficult. Lord, we have an anchor that gives us joy. Lord, that lightens the load of what we're carrying. God, and that fills us completely. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this space. God, we ask that you would reign supreme. Lord, we invite you into the messes of our lives this morning. God, from the conversations that we had on the way to church to the things that are waiting for us tomorrow at work. God, we ask that, that you would show your face within them. Lord, that we would trust you deeply. God, that you would show your, your purpose and your plan in the midst of whatever we're facing. Jesus, for the folks around us that, that don't have the joy of your hope. God, we lift them up together in unity, asking that you would reach out to them as we reach out to them. Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would go before us. Lord, that you would give us the boldness and the courage. Lord, to, to maybe ask the friend. Lord, and that you would protect us from any discouragement. Jesus, we love you and we are so blessed by who you are. We are so blessed to have this community. Jesus, would you be about anchor today? It's in your precious and holy name. Amen. Welcome, Billy Wilson. Well, thanks. I'm glad to be with you today. Um, Lindsay says I have about 35 minutes to tell some stories, to go through some scripture. What else? Okay. All right. Well, here we go. Um, I want to start with a pop quiz, though. And we're just going to... You, you came to church today to, to be quizzed, right? It's just a one-question one question quiz. Um, so let's start with, with the one question. Uh, Jesus said to go into all the world and make what? That's, that's pretty well 100%. That's pretty good. You win. You, I don't know what you win, but you won. Uh, you're right. He said go into all the world and make disciples. Now, the problem, and this is, this is uh, I'll, I'll introduce myself real quick and, and tell you the problem I see with, with what Jesus said to do and then what we're doing. I'm, I get to, to work with about 65 
uh, different churches around five states, get to travel quite a bit, um, working with several churches this week, and each, each church has their own goals and targets and things that they're setting out to do, right? But Jesus kind of said to do one thing and do that, do that one thing. To, to go into all the world and make disciples. And what we've, what we've done is taken what Jesus said to do and kind of put our own spin on it. And, and I'm not talking about anchor specific. I'm talking about the church across the world, like over the last 2,000 years, right? What have we, what have we tried to do? We've, we've kind of said, well, oh, it's, it's, I see what you're going for there, Jesus. And we, you know, make disciples. How about if we just make converts? instead. And, and we make the converts, which means uh, we get to make a person part of our tribe. And we get to kind of count on them. And we get to, you know, check that box that, that they were not inside, but now they said that prayer, now they're inside. Check. They're going to heaven. Who else can we go get? But Jesus said to make disciples. Now, there has to be kind of a starting point with the whole discipleship thing, and there has to be the conversion. So, so making converts is part of the process, but it is just part of the process. So I want to I talk to you today about what make disciples can look like and, and what I think Jesus meant for it to look like. Because a disciple, the way Jesus talked about it, and a disciple was, was, a, was, a, was a common word, used in that day, not so much anymore, but a disciple is one who, who simply learns life from a master. And, and so Dallas Willard always talked about if, if discipleship is a hard word to get your mind around, substitute that word um, with the word apprentice because we, we, can, we, we can understand a little bit more what an apprentice is like. Someone who's learning how to do, the, whether it's make cabinets or lay carpet or, or plumbing or electrician, uh, you're, you're learning how to do the thing from a master, right? Now, when Jesus said make disciples, he was saying, I want you to teach people to do life the way I taught them to live it, because he, he kind of expounded on that. Make disciples. Teach them to do everything that I've told you. Teach them. Help them enter into the life that they were created to live, to make disciples. So let's, let's look at a story uh, if you want to open your Bible, if you have a Bible, uh, you can, I'll put some, some Scripture passages up on the, on the screen uh, for you. But Luke 5 is where we're going to be. And I'll just, I'll just tell you through, I'll, I'll walk you through the story of when Jesus first started to call His disciples and what He was going for there. So He's, he's at the Sea of Galilee, which is the northern part of, of, of Israel, um, where He spent a lot of His ministry. Uh, and, he's, and He comes across these guys who are fishermen. And he probably knows them. They know of him. Uh, he's, he's a known rabbi at this time, and he's, uh, he, he's a well-educated uh, teacher. People around the area would have known him as a, a pretty accomplished teacher. They would call him rabbi. They would call him teacher. And so, so it wouldn't be uncommon for rabbis to, to wander around and, and teach people. That's what rabbis do. So, so Peter uh, and, and, and his co-workers are, are finishing up from a long night of fishing. That's their job. They're fishermen. They're cleaning their nets. They're going to go out again probably the next night, but it's been a bad night. 
They just didn't catch a thing. And, and you, I mean, it's one thing to go out fishing for like leisure or a hobby and you don't do so well and you come home bummed, but what if your whole livelihood depends on this? You're just, it's a bad night. And he's tired, he's been up all night, working hard all night, because you're not just, you know, doing this. They're casting nets and pulling it in and, and uh, hasn't gone well. Jesus comes along and sees see Peter, and there's, there's kind of a crowd, and he says, Peter, you mind if I like, stand on your boat and, and teach these people so, so they can kind of hear me and I can get away from them just for a few, and, and, you know, use my boat, Jesus, I was going to go home, but just use my boat. Uh, I'll stay up a little bit longer. So he's out on the boat, and he does the teaching, sends them away after a while, and, and so Peter's like kind of thinking, can I go home now? <laughs> Tired. I want to get a few hours before I go out and do this again. And Jesus says, tell you what, Peter, let's, let's go out and throw those nets again. And he's like, I just got them cleaned. And they're just put away, and they're ready to go. But okay, okay. Because I, I, Peter's sensing something in the things Jesus is teaching. Not sure what that is yet, but he senses there's something coming alive in Peter. And I'm, I'm reading a lot into this story, uh, but just kind of hang with me for a minute, and you can see what's going on. So, so Peter says, okay, let's go out and throw the fish, and so, or see if we can throw the nets, catch a few fish, and, and Jesus is like, uh, throw the nets right there. And Peter, Peter's response, what he, what he actually says is, Jesus, we've been up all night long, haven't done really well. We haven't caught anything. And you can, you can just read into his response with, you know, what he's saying is, we're, we're professionals. We do this. I, every day we know, how to, we know how to throw the nets. We know where to throw the nets. This is what we do. You're a rabbi. But here's, he's probably thinking that. That's not what he says. He says, we've been up all night. Haven't done any good. Here's his response. But because you say so, I will. Because you say so, I will. And he throws down the nets, and, and, and they, they pull in more fish, than the nets are starting to break, and they're just so heavy. And Peter realizes there is something miraculous about what he's just experienced, that, that this wasn't just about fish. And so he, he begins to just sense that there is something more than just fishing I can learn from this man, and he, and he begins to, to worship Jesus in his heart. And so, so Jesus' response is, is not just, thanks for letting me use your boat, have a good one. Just wanted to bless you with your few fish. Jesus' response to Peter's response is this. Follow me, Peter, and I will show you how to fish for men. You think this was cool? Follow me, and I will show you how to fish for the souls of men and women. Are you up for that? And this, this is his invitation. This is Jesus' invitation for Peter to do what Jesus says. In other words, to become a disciple. So, so when Jesus says, make disciples, what he's saying is, teach people to obey me, to do what I say, to live the life of, because you say so, I will. B-Y-S-S-I-W. Now, Lindsay makes fun of me for not having any tattoos, but having a whole list of tattoos that I would get. <laughs> Toward the top of that list is B-Y-S-S-I-W. I don't know what it would look like. There's probably some cool letters that we could design. 
I don't, I don't know where it would go, but, but that's on the list. And if you have ideas, feel free to steal it, because I'll probably never get it, but you, you can have that one. B-Y-S-S-I-W. That's what, the, light, that's what the, the commitment of a disciple is. I will follow you, and if you say to do it, I will do it just because you said to do it. It's a life of obedience. Because we have sensed that there is a master, there's somebody that knows how to do this life, and we don't know how to do it so well. And we've screwed it up a little bit, maybe a lot. But there is someone who knows the key to life, and he's saying, follow me and I'll show you how to do this life. We're in. But there's some catches to it, because Jesus says, you have to do it the way I say to do it, and I'll teach you how to do it. And that's when he goes, he goes from there and he starts to teach this life where he says, if somebody slaps you, don't slap them back. Just turn the other cheek. If somebody asks you to do something, just go the extra mile. That's the kind of life. Be generous, be forgiving, be loving. Forgive and love and be united. This is the life that he's inviting us into. Now, think back on that day when Peter is just tired and he wants to go home and here is Jesus saying I got some more work for you Peter's response Peter's response was if you say so I'll do it and Jesus response was now you are qualified to enter into this life of greatness and he would and he would and he would start to groom Peter to be the leader of his church like when he would leave he would kind of look at Peter, James, and I say, you guys got this. You're in charge. I'll send my spirit. You're not going to be alone, but I'm putting you in charge. I'm leaving, I'm leaving these guys behind. Because they have this heart. Because you say so, I will. I want you to think about your hard night, your hardships, the struggles that maybe you carry today, and, and ask, have, have you ever wondered... Does this struggle I have, does this hardship, does this, does this habit, does this addiction, does this, what, whatever it is, is this thing that Jesus has given me to carry, is it meaningful in any way whatsoever? Does anybody even notice how I carry it? Does, does my integrity mean anything through, it, through this? And I'm going to tell you another story here in a minute, but I want you to, as you listen to this story, I want you to think about the hard thing you're going through that you're being asked to carry that you think nobody's watching or nobody notices and, and maybe look at it a different way, like, oh, maybe somebody is watching, maybe somebody is noticing, maybe this test, maybe this trial actually is not about the trial. Maybe it's about something else. In the same way that Peter's directive to put the nets down was not about the nets. It wasn't about the 153 fish, was it? It was about something else. There was something Jesus is trying to reveal about Peter's heart and willingness and obedience. Here's a story I like to tell. Uh, It's about how I uh, knew that my wife she wasn't my wife when I met her, but when I, when I knew that she would be the, like she was the one for me. Okay, here's the story, and it's kind of a long story. So now, start my time now. <laughs> I was like 16 years old, and, and at 16, you know, you just maybe starting to, to, to think about dating or something like that, and, 
and, and you don't really do the, the real date thing, at least at my age, at 16. You, you do the, there's a school function, can I invite you to the school function with me? That kind of a date. And so, so I had one of those school functions, like a sports banquet, I was, and I, could, I was going to invite somebody to this, but didn't have a girlfriend. So uh, my school was very small. Uh, no one interested in any girls at that school so I had to venture outside of my school and there was a family like uh, that like a friend of a friend knew about this family with six kids and the the oldest two kids were twin daughters identical twin daughters and they were pretty so so we figured out uh, I orchestrated it that my parents would ask her parents out to dinner uh, to go out to pizza after a basketball game because she went to a school that I went to a school we played each other I said mom see if they want to go out for pizza afterwards and invite their daughters so so we all go out to pizza the parents are getting to know each other and and I said uh, I don't know which one to ask because they are identical <laughs> and I, I couldn't tell them apart so I asked my mom to ask the girls mom Kim and Angie were their names uh, to ask their mom which one should Billy ask to this banquet. And my mom asked, and their mom said, uh, well, Kim's had a boyfriend, Angie never has, so why don't you ask Angie? So I said, that sounds good to me. Got the number, called Angie up, went to the banquet, and she's very nice, very polite, very pretty, uh, very polite, way too polite. Couldn't get her to like say more than please, thank you, that kind of, so the conversation was tough. But she was nice. I thought, maybe, maybe there's, there's got to be something there. There's a nice girl. You don't meet, you know, there's nice, pretty girls everywhere. So I'll just, so I kept asking her. For like a year, every, every month or so, I'd say, hey, you want to go bowling? You want to go do something? You want, there's a party or something? You want to go uh, hang out with some friends? And we would do that. And I, I remember just going home saying, that was so long. That date just took forever, it felt like. And so so, but, but she was nice enough. She's starting to loosen up over time. It's, it's worth it. I'll put the time and put the investment. Anyway, um, Kim and Angie are identical twins, like I said. And they had always thought it would be funny if they would, like they did this once in school. They switched in class. Like one of them was really good at one subject and one of them, they switched. And, and they, one of them got to feeling so guilty in the middle of a test, she confessed and said, I'm really not Kim. I'm Angie. I have to go. I'll, and so that kind of a, so they thought, well, let's give it another try because our conscience are stuffed away more. So, so I asked Angie out for a date, um, and Kim shows up in her place as Angie. I had no clue. And so we go out, uh, out to eat. We're hanging out. And I'm thinking these thoughts. This date's going much better than the other dates. <laughs> what, I finally got through. And, and as I'm about to take her home, she says, I just need to confess, I'm not Angie, I'm really Kim. I'm like, no wonder it's going better. <laughs> but how do you just switch on them? Because now they're like best friends, and they're, so I don't know what to do. So I start, so I start asking them out on group dates. I'll just, I get a buddy, and I'll call Kim and Angie, whoever answers, and say, do you guys want to hang out? I got a buddy. So we'll go, you know, we'll go to a park, we'll, we'll, we'll go bowling, or we'll go to a movie, we'll go out to eat, we'll just do this thing. And they got confused because they didn't know who I was asking out. <laughs> that was part of the plan. The guys sit in the front, the girls are in the back, 
And, and I just thought, I don't know, you know, maybe it was just a one-night thing. I've got to figure out which one is right. Now, I always told them, I'm going to get you back someday for switching on me because that was rude, and they, they made fun of me for the next several months. To everybody else, they would tell this story. He didn't know, he's such an idiot, right? So I'll get you back. Here's the night I got him back. I said, uh, um, there's, there's a group of friends hanging out at so-and-so's house. I'll come pick you two up, and we'll go, we'll go hang out. I said, sure. So I go pick them up, and as I'm leaving, they lived kind of out in the country, and there's, there's a wooded area that I pulled off into. I said, I'm, my car's acting up. I need to get check out under the hood what's going on. So I pull off, and they're, no, don't stop here. Don't stop here. This is, this is not a safe place. This is, there's woods. We, we, kids come back here and do drugs and party and stuff like that. Do not stop here. It'll be fine. I'm like 17 by this point, and I, I, you know, I'm just, I'll be fine. So I get under the hood, and I have no clue what I'm looking for there. There's nothing wrong with the car. Um, and out of the woods come these two guys with baseball bats and ski masks, who happen to be my best friends, Mark and Johnny, that I had dropped off right before I picked up the girls. And the girls are screaming from inside the car, somebody's coming, get in the car, we have to go, we have to go. And I'm like, what? I can't hear you, I'm working on the car. So they come up and we put on something that would make the WWE just <laughs> jealous. We're throwing each other around. This is before cell phones, so nobody's going to call anybody. And they're just, so they finally, the two of them are just kicking me. I'm on the ground and we're just laughing and we hear the screams from inside the car and we think this is hilarious until the car starts. <laughs> and I, sell, I tell Mark, Johnny, Mark, you've got to let me up because if they get out of here, they're calling the cops and we're in just big trouble. And the car's now driving away. So they let me up, as, and the car's like 50 yards away by this, and I'm running. I'm running after the car. Luckily, they see me in the rearview mirror. They stop, and I get to the car, and I'm laughing, and they're bawling, like seriously hyperventilating, bawling. And I said, it's okay. Mark and Johnny come up. Ha, ha, wasn't that fun? I told you I'd get you back. This is great. They did not think it was funny. They still don't think it's funny. And here's the conversation that had been taking place inside the car. Um, Angie said, Kim, get in the driver's seat. We have to go. Kim was like, no, we can't leave him. Angie goes, he's already dead, and if we stay, we'll be dead too. She jumps from the back seat into the front seat, starts the car, and she's driving away. And that was the night I knew. One of them will give her life with me, one would leave me for dead. <laughs> and a few years later, I asked him to marry me, and this August, it'll be 25 years. So, something's working. She stood by me. She was willing to go. Anyway, her hardship... Now, this, this is where the, the, the metaphor breaks down a little bit, because I would say her hardship brought for her a reward later on, but kind of an odd reward, and I can't talk about myself in that way, but there was an indication of, I now know what you'll do under pressure. 
So think about your hardship again. Whatever that thing is, whatever the struggle is, that you're just like, I wish I could get rid of this thing. I wish I weren't going through this thing. Does anybody even notice that I, I, that I have to butt up against this thing every day? Yeah. Somebody does know. And everything matters. Here's a, here's a story that Jesus told. So like the Tuesday night before he would be crucified. He gets crucified on a Friday. So this would happen the week he's crucified. And, and the best I can tell, it happens on a Tuesday. The Tuesday of Holy Week. He tells this story. So this is, he's like coming down to, to crunch time. I got to tell him uh, every th- three years I've been with him. But now here's some stories. And he starts to tell them these key stories. And in Matthew 25, there's a story about the parable of, of, of the talents, is, is how most Bibles talk about it. But a talent is, picture a bag of gold. So it's a sum of money as a talent. So, so Jesus tells a story about three servants. He said there's a, there's a master with three servants. The master calls the three servants um, together. And he says, I'm going to go for a, away for a while. I'm going to give you each... Um, bags of gold, you invest these bags, uh, and I've been watching you work, so I know what you can handle, and I'm going to give you these bags of gold, and I'm going to go away, and I want you to grow my kingdom while I'm gone, and I'll come back and see how you did. So the first servant, Jesus says, here are five bags of gold, take them and invest them, grow my kingdom. Second servant says, I've been watching you work, I think I can trust you with two bags of gold, here are two, I'm going to go away, same thing. Third servant, uh, I, I haven't been able to assess what you can do maybe, or haven't you know, maybe you haven't proven yourself. But anyway, the, the, the scripture says each according to his ability is, is how it was assessed. So, so the ability was like, you're, here's one bag. I still trust you with the one bag of gold. I'm going to go away, come back. Master's away for some time. We don't know how long. Comes back. Calls the three servants uh, to give an account for themselves. And, and the, the first servant with five bags says, you gave me five, worked really hard. Um, here are now 10 bags of gold. I doubled what you gave me. And here's the master's response. I think it's up here. Uh, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Okay? That's where we get, we've heard the well done, good and faithful servant. We kind of want to hear that at the end of this life. This is where it comes from, this parable. Well done. You took what I gave you. You invested it. You worked hard. Well done, good and faithful. Now come and share in my happiness. Second servant, two bags, how'd you do? You gave me two, doubled it, here now four. Same words, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. Like come, in other words, kind of come be a partner now in what I'm continuing to do. Okay, third servant, gave you one bag, how'd you do? I was afraid. I didn't want to lose this thing, so I buried it. And I maintained what you gave me. Boom, here's the bag. The master had a different response. And he he said, "Um, you wicked, lazy servant. Wicked, because you didn't obey me. I told you to invest it, you buried it. I said invest it, you buried it. That's wicked. That's disobedient. You're lazy, because it's not that you lost it. You didn't even try, you buried it. That's wicked and lazy. Take the one from this guy and give it to the one with ten because I can trust him. He did a great job. Now, the guy that, that had ten, Jesus didn't say, good job, 
go retire somewhere. Good job, now here's some more to do, was his reward. And that's the happiness. So now the ten, the five-bagger, the ten-bagger, the, now the eleven-bagger goes off and sets it out again. So, so there's the reward for the well done is not go sit down on the sidelines, it's increased responsibility. What did Peter get for his well done? Oh, you did good with the fish. Come on now. I will make you fishers, a fisher of men. Increase responsibility. How then, so let's apply this to your life. What's increased responsibility look like? What is, what is Jesus doing? So think now through the filter of disciple. Uh, if we are a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, then we are learning to live life the way Jesus lived life. Which means we'll do the things that he did, do things the way he did it. What did he do? What was he interested in? What was his focus in life? What did he care about? Here's how Paul, an apostle that would come along later, here's how he would characterize like, his responsibility. Like, as he's now a disciple of Jesus, here's how he interpreted his call now in life. 2 Corinthians 5, 16-19. Do we have that one up? Yeah, here it is. So now, from now on, he says, from now on what? Like, since we've entered into this life, since we are now disciples of Jesus, since now we, we follow Jesus, he says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. In other words, there's no ordinary people. There's no just people in this world. You won't make contact, eye contact with a person today who's just ordinary, who's just another person that God doesn't know. God knows about them all. So from a worldly point of view, there's just a bunch of people. They're expendable. They're disposable. It's no big deal. From a godly point of view, oh, they're all precious, precious children, right? So that's the no longer from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, a new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. So the old life, the, the old way of doing life, the old creation, the, the old state of life, gone, new has come. So now what does the new look like? What does the new following Jesus, the fisher of men, look like? Verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So what, what, why would we need to be reconciled to God? Because we were his enemy. We were estranged from God, and we needed someone to come to us and say, there's God, there's you, let me bring you two together. How does he do that? Well, on the cross, he did that. with The sacrifice, the, the penalty for our sin, he does that once and for all. And then the message now is, that has been paid, your penalty, your debt has been paid, your balance is now wiped away, the, the debt you owed, somebody paid it, you're good now. And that's the message of you're good now with God. There's no penalty anymore because the penalty has been paid by God. Christ did this, and then this is the disciple part, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So he was the reconciler, and now he comes along and says, okay, now this is your ministry. Go into all the world and make sure you don't see anybody from a worldly point of view. There are just lost and there are just found people. And if they're lost, let's help them get found. Let's reconcile them 
to God. That God was reconciled the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. That's the life of the disciple. Now, here's back to the parable in Matthew 25. How many of you, when you said your salvation prayer or whatever that looked like for you, your, your conversion experience, how many of you were given your bags of gold that day? You still got them? But you didn't get your bag? You missed that? Well, we're obviously not talking about bags of gold, are we? Jesus wasn't talking about literal bags of gold. So he was talking about something very precious, though. So, so let's, let's apply what we know is the most precious thing in the world to God. What is it? What is his masterpiece? His masterpiece is people. The most precious thing is people. So then, when you crossed that line, I am now a follower of Jesus. I'm now his disciple. I'm going to do life his way. What does he give you? What, what's, what's the equivalent of the bags of gold in your life? You can just ask What's the most precious thing around me to God? It's the people. It's the people around me. My coworkers, my neighbors. Everybody I have access to. Now think about it this way. Your network is unique to you. Nobody else in this world has the same network of people that you have. Every one of those people in your network, from family members to coworkers to neighbors to, to people you just do business with every day, people you buy your lunch from, all that, that network is unique to you. Now, here's my challenge to you. What if you started to see every one of those people as a bag of gold? And the master who's gone away for a while, it will come back and the master will say, okay, that person who lives next to you, I entrusted that person to you to steward that relationship, to do something with it. How's that bag of gold doing? Are you stewarding that relationship, that gold, that valuable thing well? When you start to see the people around you as a bag of gold, like something of extreme value, you start to treat that person a little differently. I walked through the airport last night, and there are some weird people in the airport. <laughs> and I'm just walking through there just like, that's a bag. That's a bag of gold. That's a bag of gold. That, that one doesn't look like much. That one's a weird bag of gold, but that's a bag of gold. You can't look at anyone anymore from a worldly point of view because they're all gold in the eyes of God. What are you doing with your bags of gold? Are you, are you doing the, mech, the, the, the ministry of reconciliation thing? Are, are you saying, I know you thought God was mad at you. He's not mad at you. In fact, he's madly in love with you. Are you doing that thing? Are you, are you bringing them into a place like this where they can hear the love and forgiveness of God? Because I'm telling you, 
the well done, good and faithful servant is worth it. It's worth that investment. Now here's, I'm going to wrap this up, which is meaningless in terms of time. But, but here's, here's where I want to bring this home. Jesus says this story about the parable of the talents on a Tuesday. He dies on a Friday. He rises again the third day, all that stuff. Sometime after this, like several weeks after this, he's told the disciples to meet him up on a mountain for like some final instructions. So this is the Great Commission part. This is the, this is the now I have, you saw me die, now I'm alive, and he's been appearing to people around Jerusalem for the past 40 or so days. People are like able to touch him. He's eating with them. He's not just a spirit back from the dead. He's a physical, live person back from the dead. And he says, meet me up on the mountain. If that person says, meet me on the mountain, you meet him on the mountain. So here's what happens on the mountain. Matthew 28 is where we see this. Jesus says, meet me on the mountain. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Have you ever caught this part? But some doubted. Are you kidding me? What What do you doubt? He died... Now he's alive, and if you doubted he was alive, he's telling you, just put your finger right there. There's, a, there's still a hole. What in the world are you doubting? Well, the word doubted could also mean hesitated. Hesitated. So, so maybe they didn't think like, I don't think I'm seeing you. Maybe it wasn't that. Maybe it was, what are you going to now make me do? Because that looked horrific, what you went through. That looked horrible. So, so some, you could, you could throw the word hesitated in there. Why? Look what he says next. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Why? Because he beat death. When he beat death, he's the champion, and with the champion comes all authority. So now... He's not just rabbi, esteemed teacher in Israel. Now he is the one who predicted his death, died, and now he's alive. He says, I have all authority. And the guy with all authority is now the boss. And the boss gets to tell us what to go and do. So what is the boss going to tell us to go and do? And you can see why they might start to hesitate, because he might just, he might just ruin their lives. Or save their lives. What's he going to say? To, he says, all authority in heaven has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. That's what he's asking us to do. Go and make disciples. Go invite people to follow me the same way you're following me. Are you still hesitating? Is there still something in your spirit that's hesitating? Like where, where he's saying, come on, and you're like, what, what, what are you going to make me do? Are you going to make me move to Africa? Are you going to make me talk to people that I don't like? Can I just say, if you're still hesitating, I want, I want, you, to, I want you to catch something back in Matthew 25. The well done, 
Let's throw the Matthew 25, Matthew 25, 21 back up there. Well done, a good and faithful servant. When Jesus says, well done, a good and faithful servant, he doesn't say, now come and follow me into a miserable, difficult life. That's, that's kind of what we expect Jesus to say, because that's, how it, that's the wrong version of Christianity maybe some of us have been sold for a while. You have to do it miserably if you want to do it right. Look at what Jesus says in the parable. Well done. You worked hard. You doubled what I gave you. Well done. Come and share your master's what? Happiness. Guys, if it's not a life of happiness, you're doing it wrong. Because this is the life he invited us into. He said, I came to give you life, and not just an ordinary life. I came to give you life to the full. Come and share it in my... How do we get that happiness? Here's... I haven't lived as long as some of you. I've lived long enough to try a few different things and, and, and sought happiness in a few different ways. There is nothing in this world that brings me happiness. Now that I've been following Jesus for a little while, when I see someone who was convinced God wanted nothing to do with them, who was convinced that God had given up on them, who was convinced that God had no use for them whatsoever, comes to a realization that God loves me, God forgives me, God's inviting me into His kingdom, God's inviting me into a, a happy life. When you see that change, I'm addicted to it. And I wouldn't be doing this job. I wouldn't be traveling across. It's kind of a cool job sometimes, but sometimes it stinks. But the reason I do it and the reason I invest in local churches like this is because this is where that life change happens and it can happen and it's where the promise can be fulfilled. This new life, this life to the full can happen in contexts like this. Share in your master's happiness when you start to see lives changed and misery through forgiveness, through new life, that's happiness. And if we're running around chasing other things that we just know the happiness is there for a second and then it's gone, let's follow Jesus who told us what happiness looks like, that life to the full. Let me pray for you. Father, you've given each of us According to our ability, according to what you've seen you can trust us with, you've, you've given each of us a certain number of bags of gold. Forgive us if we have been burying this treasure. Forgive us if, if you've given us a relationship to, to take care of and we've been blowing it off. A neighbor, a co-worker, even the annoying co-workers, God, let us, dis, let, us, let us begin to see them as something special, something of value, to steward that relationship well. Because we need to hear the well done. Because we, we did it the way you asked us to do it. 
to love, to help others sense this forgiveness in you through your son Jesus. Help us to live life the way you told us to live it. To be these ministers of reconciliation wherever we go. Bless this church as this church seeks new ways, exciting ways of doing that. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with us as we sing this last song. And as we worship, I want you to think of where your bags of gold are. Are they buried? Or are you trusting the Lord with them? And often we raise our hands in a sign of surrender unto the Lord. So as the Spirit leads, will you raise your hands as you say, Lord, I want to treat each person that you've trusted me with as what they are, and that's a bag of gold.